Welcome to the Voices of Women Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tatiana Resnik, a practicing physician and a certified life coach. You will hear about inspirational journeys and practical tips from amazing women physician experts, as well as effective coaching tools and steps to joyful success. Welcome everyone to this episode. I'm so happy to have here with us today Dr. Christine Goins. She is a board-certified integrative adult and pediatric psychiatrist, physician coach, and a world traveler. And today we will discuss very interesting topic, very exciting topic on how to become a digital nomad as a physician. Welcome, Dr. Goins. Thank you. So honored to be here. Yeah, I'm so honored to have you here. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and about what you do. Yes. So as you mentioned, I'm an integrative adult child and adolescent psychiatrist, also a digital nomad and a physician coach. I help to guide physicians who want to break free from traditional medicine and achieve location freedom and create their own ideal nomadic lifestyles. This is so awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background, your impressive background. Tell us. Yeah. So my journey as a physician really started when I was eight, because that's when I decided that I I was going to go into medicine. <laughs> and looking back on that time, I really grew up in this extended family structure where if I was sick and coughing, the first thing my grandmother did was get out some honey and lemon and pray. And my aunt would draw bubble baths with aromatherapy and play jazz on Sundays because it helps the plants grow. So I was never formally encouraged to go into medicine necessarily, but in my upbringing, there were all of these messages that that you could choose to live a life in a holistic way by using certain practices and beliefs that would benefit your mind, your body, and your spirit and people around you, your community. So that's the way that I grew up and what led me on my way to medicine. But there was also this idea of travel that came to me as a teenager because I had access to lots of libraries and books. <laughs> and I would read these riveting stories by one of my favorite authors, Eric Jerome Dickey, about Black women who were professionals and world travelers and polyglots. And so I never had an opportunity to travel, but I traveled in my imagination as a teenager. And holding that vision was, I realize now, really essential to where I am. And so throughout my journey of medicine, I always tried to pull in the travel wherever I could. So we had that little break the year after medical school in the summer. And during that time, I stayed with a family in Costa Rica and learned medical Spanish for the summer. And then later in fellowship, I spent a month in Nepal in a Tibetan Buddhist monastery studying meditation and Buddhism. So I was always trying to integrate it into my passions. But once I became an attending, I realized that they always ask you this question, like, if you want to know what you value, just look at how you spend your time. And all of my time was spent in medicine. <laughs> like I was not doing anything else. It was most of the hours of my day, even on the weekends. And so I knew that I really needed to make a shift and a change. And so that's what led me to the direction of becoming a nomad. Oh, so interesting. So tell us more. So once I decided that I was going to make this kind of change, it was actually during one of my vacations, because I still like to travel when I could. I took 10 days off and went to Thailand with my sister. And I was sitting on Kata Beach writing down my thoughts in my journal. 
And I had this realization that I needed every day to be the way this day was. I needed my normal day to be on the beach and my vacation day to be working like two, three weeks a year kind of thing. <laughs> so it's like, how do I make this change? So on my 17 hour flight back to the US, I started drawing up a plan. I was like, okay, I'm going to do a five-year plan of how I'm going to leave and become a digital nomad. And what happened was during the quarantine period, once the pandemic started, both of my grandmothers died. And that really was the motivation to me to say, okay, you think you have five years, you might not. And so what can you do today to make this change happen? So I changed my five-year plan into a five-month plan and I bought a one-way ticket to Columbia. Wow. So that's what started it. Wow. So how many countries and how many places had you traveled like this so far? So far, I've traveled to more countries, but I've lived in about 10 countries now. It is so cool. Wow. So how exactly do you do it? What is the logistics of it? Yeah. So what I do now, so before I left, I had two different jobs. I always have multiple streams of income. That is something that I always believed in doing. And so when I left the U.S., I left my academic job, but I always was working for myself, either doing contract work or consulting. And so I continued doing that virtually. And so once I left, I decided to live in each country for at least three months. For me, I wanted enough time to really get to know people there and really get an understanding of the culture. So I usually switch countries every three months. And sometimes I will come back to a certain country, particularly if I have really strong connections there, which I tend to build pretty quickly. <laughs> so that's what allows me to move slowly. It is awesome. So do you work by Zoom and how do you arrange it? Is it possible to do from outside of US? How exactly you do logistics of it? Yeah, so usually when I'm doing consulting, I use HIPAA compliant networks. There's a HIPAA compliant Zoom that you can also use depending on what kind of practices you're doing. Depending on what type of work you'd want to do if you're consulting or you're coaching or things like that, you might not even need HIPAA compliance depending on what kind of work it is. But that's the work that I do. And I mean, that's pretty much all you need besides a computer <laughs> right now. So are you seeing patients as a psychiatrist or are you mostly focusing on coaching and consulting practice currently? Mostly in coaching and consulting practices and working with different pediatric offices, different entities, different mental health institutions and being able to contract through them. I see. Very interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about what being interrogative psychiatrist is like? What exactly it is and what type of treatment? Many people not familiar, so... Yeah, of course. So integrative psychiatry is really a comprehensive whole person approach to mental health. It utilizes many of the conventional things that you think about when you might consider psychiatry like pharmacology or therapy, but it also utilizes science-based nutrition, movement, mind-body, lifestyle management, dietary supplements, and botanical therapy, even manual medicine when you think of things like massage. So it's really about starting with the least invasive, least suppressive, most natural therapies, and then evolving to more invasive, potentially suppressive therapies, depending on the nature of the condition, the patient's individual values, and their response to treatment. 
I see. I thought that when you're outside of US, that cannot see patients like Medicare patients, or I believe there are some sort of insurance or some other regulation for some reason preventing from being seen by physician outside of US. How exactly to manage this part? So definitely insurance companies have a lot of regulations around doing patient care outside of the US. I've never worked with anyone who has insurance or companies or entities who use insurance. Because it is true that there is a lot of regulation around that, particularly when you're billing Medicare and things like that. I see. So it should be basically cash-based practice, and then it helps to avoid this problem. Makes sense. Well, what difficulties had you encountered, and how did you overcome them? I think the biggest difficulties that I encountered were my own self-limiting thoughts. Because like many physicians, I think that we're all groomed in a certain way. Like this is the plan and this is the roadmap. And anytime you veer to the left or to the right, people will start looking at you differently (laughs) and have something to say about it. So I think that was initially probably my biggest difficulty. I thought I couldn't go because of money. I thought I couldn't go because of student loans. I thought I couldn't go because I was a solo traveler or because there was so much work that I wanted to do with patients in a particular community that I was working in. All of those things really kept me feeling stuck for a long time. And once I worked on my self-limiting thoughts about it, I realized that the same reasons that I had for staying, those were the very reasons I had to go. Because I could have so much more impact. I could fast track my way to financial freedom. I could have more time freedom to do the things that I was really passionate about and serve in the way that I wanted to through this other lifestyle. And so it really took a lot of mind work to be able to make that change. It's so interesting. And what mistakes would you recommend to avoid for physicians who would like to do something similar? So you mentioned a good point about learning about what you're doing as far as the regulations. Those are all things that I did before I left. So there weren't necessarily mistakes that I made, but I was trying to prevent mistakes from being made. And so consulting with a variety of professionals, CPAs, attorneys, talking to different health insurance carriers, credit card efficiency specialists, and really synthesizing all of that information for myself, for the lifestyle that I was living, because you realize when you start talking to different consultants that they have expertise in their area, but not in their area for a nomad, in their area for people who are in the US, right? So there's a lot of background work that I had to do in terms of working with them. But I think doing those consultations are really important and just being open and flexible. I think that when it comes to traveling full time and living in different countries with different languages and different cultures and everything can be quite different than being in the US, especially when You're not going on vacation, so you're not going to a resort where everything is still the same as it is in the U.S. It's really different living in a local community and things like that. And so I think one of the mistakes that I would try to avoid is hoping everything is the same or not expecting there to be some kind of change and being flexible and allowing that to just enhance your learning process. I see. Makes sense. And what lessons did you learn through the journey? 
Some of my biggest lessons have been that I'm not just a better physician, but I'm a better person when I have time freedom. I have time for clarity. So I have time to do deep introspective work on myself. And I don't know about other people, but I don't know if I want a psychiatrist or anyone who doesn't have time to work on their own mind to actually work on my mind. So I had time for creativity and using my imagination, really being able to constantly be surrounded by a diversity of ideas and cultures and languages. And the lesson of just what it feels like to live your life by design rather than by default to me has been an incredible lesson very interesting when you, when you come to a new country how do you quickly arrange everything like for example housing do you stay at airbnb or how do you find housing and car and like different language how do you make new friends when it's a different language so how do you do all of this share a little bit so usually when I know I'm going to a different country, I will reach out to people ahead of time. If it's not a country I've been to, let's say it's a brand new country, I've never been there. If I don't know the language at all, I'm going to study the language before I get there. So I'm going to get a tutor or someone. So I have certain sites that I really like, like italki.com. I usually will find a tutor on there. Preferably one who lives locally, because before you get there, you already know someone who lives locally. And if there's something that comes out in the news or something that you don't really understand because you don't know the language, you can always touch base with them during the week because you're going to see them anyway. And they could tell you, oh, it means this. You have a touch point if you're really new to it. Also, there's always groups on Facebook. And within every Facebook group, there's usually another WhatsApp group of the smaller community of people who really live there day to day on the ground and you want to get into a group like that so that you could always ask questions and connect with other expatriates who might be in the area. When it comes to housing, there's different ways you could do it. Of course, you have Airbnb and VRBO and booking and all those things. But a lot of times also on Facebook groups and things like that, they'll also have a way for you to connect to people who are in the country that might be renting their homes or doing different things like that. So there's a lot of different ways that you could go about it, but Airbnb might be one of the easiest ways even though not the cheapest way to go about it. But when it comes to connecting with people, I always like to have a group of friends who are not from the country so that if there's other questions that people who are local to the country won't be able to know, like what happens if you overstay your visa or something like that, someone who's local might not know something like that because they don't have to deal with it. But I always make sure that I also have local friends. Like that to me is so, so important. So when I leave a country, I'm usually so close to someone who is a local of that country that if I come back, they come and get me from the airport. They're waiting for me. So to me, it's really important to do that. And the best way that I learned to interact with locals is to just live my normal life in the community. So living in the community, going to the supermarket, I get my hair done with locals. I go to their shows, to their music events. My whole life is really integrated into whatever country I'm in. And a lot of times I'll meet people 
who are locals who happen to also know English. They know a multitude of languages or they at least know English. Sometimes not, but usually if I'm connecting with them and I don't know the language, it's because they know some English or we wouldn't be able to communicate. So that's usually what happens. And it sometimes sounds harder than it really is, but it's a really great way to connect is just living your everyday life and seeking out certain groups like meetup.com, which they have that in the US, but they also have it around the world in different countries. So you can gather with locals and also other digital nomads too. If that's something that you want to do, you can gather with people in different countries around interests that you really care about, whatever your passions are. There's a multitude, especially in this digital world, there's a multitude of ways to digitally connect and then connect in real life. So interesting. Tell us about other places. So what are the ways in digital world to connect with other digital nomads? Any particular Facebook groups or other groups? A lot of the Facebook groups are going to be related to the country itself. I feel like that's the best way to do it, to get really focused in where you're going. So I'll do that ahead of time. I'll go into the Facebook group ahead of time for that particular country. And sometimes I'll even get really specific. Like you might have a big group for people who, let's say, are just digital nomads or who are just expats in that country. But you might have another group for people who are just women. Or you might have another group for people who are Black who are visiting there. So there's all these different varieties of groups. And so I would just be really open to what kind of groups are available. And the best thing about being really open and getting into groups is that sometimes I'll go into a group and I'll want something else to be available and I'll just create it. And other people do that all the time. So one of the things when I came to Argentina, I went into a digital nomad group and I really wanted to spend time with other entrepreneurs. So I'm like, hey, let's make an entrepreneur group. And now we have another group. So you can really, create things it's all about creating things even if they don't exist where you are just having that open-mindedness it is so cool really i just love it it is awesome but how do you find patients and clients like you're outside of country and how do you have people to know about you and how many patients do you have how this part works So what I usually do when it comes to, let's say, the consulting aspect of things or like patient aspect of things, when it comes to marketing on that side, I usually do all of my work through the clients, the people that I consult with. So any of the institutions, any of the practices that I'm contracting with, I let them do the marketing. So I don't typically market for those things. And for me, it helps because I work two days a week so that I can have fun five days off a week to do what I want. So time freedom is really important to me. And so in terms of marketing and all of those things, I try to leave that to them. Billing, anything that doesn't require a terminal degree for it to get done, I really like for the institution or whoever I'm contracting with to handle that part. So that when I show up, I show up for the aspect of the work that I'm really passionate about. So that's what I do for that side of my work. When it comes to my clients, I do most of my marketing on social media. It is awesome. Wow. And what three practical tips would you give to other women physicians who would like to do something similar? 
So I would say the first thing is to really take the time to envision and decide on the lifestyle that you want. A lot of times when people think about nomadic lifestyle, my idea of it is moving to different countries every three months, but your idea of it could be moving to countries once every year or two years. So it's really deciding what do you want? What makes you happy? What feels like luxury and joy for you? So that's the first thing is deciding. And then second is committing to it. I feel that when it comes to certain things that we want in life, sometimes we have a lot of reasons why we believe it can't work. Particularly as physicians, I work with a lot of physicians and it's like, oh, but it's the money, but my kids, but family, but but my job says this or the hospital says that. But when I think all the way back to when we started, we were so committed to medicine when we didn't have finances, when we had to take student loans just to get through it, when we didn't even know how it would turn out, we were still committed, like we're going to make this happen. That's the only way we could have gotten to where we are. And so we have that capacity to commit to things that we really are passionate about and really want. And so that's what I would say. This is a lifestyle that you want. For sure, you have to make the commitment first. And then three, I would say, is to have courage. Because whenever we have a commitment, there's all these things that come up that seem to challenge the commitment that we've made. And so it's having that courage and having the bravery to move through, even though there's some fear, even though there's some doubt, even though there's some anxiety, the self-limiting thoughts that I was going through that still come up for me, obviously, in some areas of my life, but not in this area anymore. And I would say the lastly is guidance. I think having guidance on a new journey is really helpful. It helps you to feel like you're not alone in the journey. It provides accountability and also allows you to have a roadmap. As physicians, we like algorithms. We like to know A to B to C to D. And I think guidance provides some of that roadmap, some of that step so that you can make that journey with confidence and clarity. Talking about guidance, please tell us a little bit about what you offer and how to contact you. So I offer one-on-one coaching for physicians who are tired of the status quo, who want to break free from traditional medicine and achieve location and time freedom and create their ideal nomadic lifestyle. And they can reach me at my website. It's thenomadmd.com, on IG at thenomadmds, and on Facebook at thenomadmd. It is very helpful. Anything else you would like to add for our listeners? What could be helpful for them on the journey? Sure. One of the most important things that I learned from a longtime traveler is if you have a deep interest or a spiritual longing for travel, don't ignore it. It is an outward journey for an inward purpose. It is so awesome. I think many of us just absolutely love travel and it sounds as an amazing, amazing thing. But can I ask, how do you solve financial part of it? So normally physicians graduate with big loans and there are a ton of other responsibilities. So travel requires extra money to be involved. How this part works? So that idea was one of the thoughts I had when I was leaving. I thought, well, travel costs more money than staying where I am. 
Actually, the opposite is true. It costs way less money to travel full time than it costs for me to sit in my one bedroom apartment in Washington, D.C. So because one, I learned how to circulate money based off of my values. And so that I really put that energy in terms of money. I put that energy on the things that are most important to me. So that really allows me to release money for things that are of no importance to me, but might be important for someone else that I'm looking at, that I might see on Instagram or somewhere else in my life, right? So it's really like having clarity about how to spend the money. But two, it's the fact that when I do move, I move to places that have a lower cost of living, but a much higher quality of life. And so though my life has a much higher quality than it was when I was a physician working in a major city in the U.S., the cost is less than half of what I would have been paying there. And so I save a lot of money that way. There are also certain tax strategies that are only open to people who are not living full-time in the U.S. or spend less than 35 days or less in the U.S. And so for 2023... That particular tax strategy will open you up so that you do not have to pay the first $120,000 of income tax on that money. So there's all of these different things that you could do that really allows traveling to help you to save a lot more money than you would not traveling. There's also a lot of credit card efficiency practices that you can have that allow you to travel for free. So I'm not paying for flights. A lot of times if I do pay for flights, it's because I decided that I'm taking a last minute trip to another continent and I'm going first class. So it's hard to do. I could still go for free if I wanted to, but it's not the best use of my points. So I don't do that. But otherwise, all of my flights are free. So it's learning all of those important strategies that allow you to travel for free, have a really luxurious or whatever type of experience you want. Luxury is different for different people. Like I said, it depends on what you value, right? What's most important to you. But there's also these different ways. It's about knowing the different strategies that could lead you to where you want to go. You mentioned money in terms of like student loans. Also, there's also different strategies where you could be traveling full time and also so be able to apply for your public service loan forgiveness because you can still be working for a nonprofit or create your own nonprofit, right? So it's just about thinking outside of the box in different ways that would allow you to circulate your money in a lifestyle that works for you. So interesting. And you include this information in your coaching, right? It's part of your coaching? Yes. It is really interesting. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast and for sharing it's really exciting and interesting and such a unique approach. It's very, very cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it or found it helpful, please subscribe, leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. Have any topics you'd like covered? Send me an email at joyfulsuccessliving.com at gmail.com follow me on facebook and instagram to connect at joyful success living have an amazing week see you next time the voices of women physicians podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any medical financial tax 
legal, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own well-being, decisions, and results. Dr. Resnik is a practicing physician, but Voices of Women Physicians podcast is not reflective of the opinion of her employer. You should always contact professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.